Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking to Will Humble. He's the executive director for the Arizona Public Health Association. Previously, Will was the director of the Arizona Department of Health Services. From 2009 to 2015, Will worked in that role for both Democratic and Republican governors. And in doing so, he oversaw the state's response to H1N1 and Ebola. That's why we're having him on today's show. We want to understand what it's like for those in positions of power to respond to a health crisis like the one we're experiencing with COVID-19. And for some background, we asked Will how SARS, H1N1, and Ebola compare to today's pandemic. Although it may feel like the federal government was unprepared for what we're facing today, he said, actually, it's been worse. If you can remember back, remember the anthrax letters that got sent, senators and so forth, back in, I think, 2001 or two? That was the event where our lawmakers in Washington woke up and realized that bioterrorism and infectious disease threats were really a serious thing. And um, that was the infancy of really the preparedness funding that's been coming down to state health departments ever since. Of the health crises we've faced recently, SARS, H1N1, and Ebola, Will said that COVID-19 really stands out on its own. I would say all, all of those um, really pale in comparison to what we're looking at in COVID-19 just because this new virus is so communicable and it is more lethal than regular influenza. So, Will, in times of public health crises, what is the public looking for from its elected officials and its government more broadly to really guide them through these things? I think what most people are looking for is transparency. And they also, I think, look to people that they trust um, are going to tell them the truth because the people can handle the truth. You just have to trust them with the truth. Um, The other thing people, I think, are looking for is, uh, quite honestly, people from the field. So I think in a situation like this, people are looking to hear from um, you know, physicians that are in the field, emergency department doctors, um, medical directors, uh, you know, people in the EMS world, first responders, um, you know, ca- folks at the county health departments who are doing the actual uh, sort of gumshoe public health work. Um, and, you know, I think they're looking for a symphony of voices to tell them what's going on, and they're looking for people that they trust, and they want people, I think, to just basically level with them. Do you think that's happening now? I think for the most part, it's starting to happen now. Um, You know, at the beginning of this outbreak, there weren't that many voices out there on the public airwaves, um, you know, talking about what COVID-19 is, what it might mean, 
what does it mean for families and so forth? And, you know, most of the language was coming out of the executive branch. Um, but I was starting to see it's encouraging. And I think that people are starting to appreciate hearing new voices. So, um, you know, I've seen uh, lately some folks from the U of A College of Public Health who've been studying, you know, outbreaks and infectious diseases their whole career. So people in academia, I'm starting to see uh, more people from the county health departments being quoted in different uh, media and you know, and, and, and actual healthcare workers, people in the field working in emergency departments that are actually treating patients, um, more employees from hospitals. And so I think the uh, range of voices that are out there are becoming uh, broader, which I think the public appreciates. Do you think that the public kind of instinctively figures that people who are reporting to a political figure like the governor that they are maybe more indebted to a particular political person instead of just giving the public the straight skinny? No, I think a lot of people, um, I think it's a, for a lot of people, it's important to hear voices from the field um, and to hear people uh, express their opinion and their expertise um, from a perspective, w- w- you know, where they're an expert that may not necessarily be reporting to a to a you know elected official, and so that's where I think people from academia can be very useful, and I think that's why you see a lot of um, media outlets interviewing um, you know professors and people from academia frequently because they have a lot of expertise in these areas, and they come with a lot of credibility because um, you know folks at a university who are you know trained in these areas don't report directly to an elected official, and I think to a lot of people that lends a sense of credibility and authenticity that they may not believe they're getting from, you know, an elected official. So I think it's important to have a range of voices out there um, for the public to really fully understand what's going on. And um, when when they start hearing, you know, things that are consistent from academia, from the county health departments, from uh, people that work in the EMS world, from direct care providers, um, and from our elected officials, then they have a sense of confidence that what they're hearing is the real deal. So speaking of expertise, you have been to a wet market. As I understand it, with regard to coronavirus, this sprang from a wet market in China. Is it realistic to think that those kind of wet market environments will be improved to become more healthful and more sanitary anytime soon? I think that this was a real wake-up call for the people in China and the elected, the, they're not elected officials, the, the people that are in charge over in China. I, I think that when, you know, when this is taken into its full context for the impact that this event has had on GDP and the loss of life, um, that I do think this will be a turning point. And I ho- hope that we have seen the, the last of these wet markets, at least in China and hopefully everywhere. Let's go back to your experience in managing these kinds of events back here in Arizona. Give us a sense of how much input you had with the governor during those events. You know, I was really fortunate to work for Governor Brewer. I really appreciated her management style um, and the people that she had hired, you know, on the eighth and ninth floor. Um, she was a, a she was a kind of governor who uh, who who had a keen sense of who she trusted and why she trusted them. And I was fortunate, I think, that not just me, but our team when I was at the Department of Health Services had built a high level of trust with her. And so she was really fun to work for because she was easy to talk to. Um, You know, she asked very practical questions. Um, And when it came to making decisions, 
you know, she relied on the expertise that we had within the agency um, and and really trusted us to make the right decisions. Um, another thing was that she understood because she had worked both in state and county government um, that, you know, there was a that that a really important rep- a part of this response or any response is the collaboration and coordination between the state and county health departments. And um, Governor Brewer knew that instinctively just because of her work history. You know, she was in the Board of Supervisors at the county. She worked in the state legislature. She was Secretary of State and finally governor. So she had a rich experience within government at various levels. And and because of that, I think she had a, a keen understanding about how government works and for that reason, she was really a joy to work for because, um, you know, she trusted us and she trusted us to make good decisions. She asked good questions, too. It wasn't, you know, a lack of accountability. We were accountable and she asked good questions. But I just really felt fortunate that I was able to be in that director job at a time um, when uh, I had a, I was reporting to a governor who really understood how government worked. Can you remember a really tough decision that probably wasn't necessarily politically popular, but was the right thing to do from a public health perspective? Um, I, you know, those kinds of things happened all the time. You know, uh, one of the things about the state health department is um, it's a lot of people don't realize it, but it's a big chunk of the mission is regulatory. So, um, you know, we the agency regulates nursing home, assisted living centers, skilled nursing, childcare facilities, the whole EMS world, you know, with the people, the ambulance licenses and, and that kind of stuff. Um, at the time we were running this, the Medicaid program, et cetera. And so, you you know, there were decisions that we made on a weekly basis that were controversial. And um, going back to your question about what it was like to work for Governor Brewer, you know, she trusted us and you know, they had asked, you know, she'd ask questions about decisions we were going to make, but um, she let us make them. Given all of that and the experience you've had in the last 20 years, how prepared do you think Arizona was for this pandemic? So I'm going to take a little bit different tack in terms of what prepared really is. So a lot of folks might think being prepared means that you've got a preparedness plan that's bound and dot, you know, that you've got an actual report that's bound and that you have a listing of things that you're going to do in an emergency. And we had a pandemic readiness plan, by the way, that we published back in 2009. Um, But to me, what preparedness really is, is having good, talented, smart staff that are working in an environment where ideas are welcome and encouraged, and everyone has a piece of the action, and everyone has, um, and, 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 and everybody is part of the response. And so um, to me, being prepared is about people, not stuff. It's about having good, talented people that have a clear view of what it really takes to do the right thing for the people of Arizona. The other thing, uh, the other thing, piece of preparedness is the partnerships that you have. So one of the things why I teach a class at the U of A, and one of the things I I go back to over and over in class is 
relationships over the course of your career are absolutely critical. And if you look at the response to virtually any emergency, whether it's a wildfire or whether it's a pandemic, at the end, when you look at what went well and what went went poorly, almost always, um, if communication breaks down and if there are poor relationships um, between the stakeholders, that lends itself to a poor response. And so that's a long way of saying um, preparedness is really all about people and relationships. So given that, do you have a sense of how responsive Governor Ducey has been in all of this and how flexible or differential has he been to different folks with different expertise? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I can I could talk a lot about the administration that I worked under because I was behind the closed doors and uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty open about what I know um, and my, my experiences were in my era. But, I, you know, I only worked for this governor for about, I don't know, a month or so. So and, and I'm not behind closed doors anymore. So I'm not there to see how the decisions are being made. So all I can really observe is what I see on television and radio, what I hear on radio and and see in print. So I, I just don't feel like I have enough information to, to answer that in a real definitive way. Do you have a sense as to whether other states may have been any better prepared than Arizona was for this? So I think that goes to the level of investment that states put in a public health system. And so, um, you know, my sense is that there are states that have robust invest state dollar investments in public health. Um, Minnesota comes to mind. Oregon has, you know, um, uh, state dollars that go into epidemiology and 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 staffing and, and building that expertise that you need during an emergency. And so I think in general, what you'll see is that the states who have more commitment of state general funds um, to public health readiness and preparedness and epidemiology are the states that are in a better position to make good decisions and to execute those decisions when emergencies like this come up. Um, you know, the, the money that comes into the state health department for epidemiology and preparedness is by and large federal money. There's a little bit of dollars that come in through um, tobacco taxes that were identified through voter initiatives and also some lottery money that comes in that can be used for various purposes. But by and large, you know, the, the Arizona Department of Health Services runs for the most part on federal money. And um, I think uh, states that have a more committed um, funding stream from state government are the states that are in a better position right now. So that's a long answer to your question and basically says, you know, we're under we're an underfunded state when it comes to public health relative to other states. And I think there are some states that are better prepared because of the fact that they invested in Um, epidemiology and public health preparedness resources with state dollars in addition to what's available through federal funding. It sounds like the state budget resources for Arizona haven't been as robust as you would recommend. If you were advising what the state should be doing on this, if you were the king of Arizona, are there two or three things right now that you think would be worth doing that we're not doing now And what should we be doing in the long term when the next one of these things rolls around? 
Yeah. So I, I can't speak to what we're not doing now, because like I said, I'm not behind closed doors and I'm not privy to the, what the actions and plans are at the very moment. Um, what I what I can say is that one of my first priorities would be to pull out um, as many talented people as I could and repurpose them. And so one of the key one of the th- one of the key things you need to know when you're you know working on an emergency like this is the skill sets that each of your staff have. And so one of the first things I'd be doing would be pulling people out of their normal jobs who I know have talents and expertise in areas where I need them more during an emergency. So part of it is moving your talent around and putting it in the right place and getting those folks to the right kinds of responsibilities. Another thing I'd be looking at is, re, you know, pulling some people out of retirement who may have recent, recently retired, but who have the level of expertise that we need at a time like this. The other piece is I would be making sure that we're fully engaging all of our state and county partners. And that means the other state agencies, Department of Corrections, Access, um, the Department of Economic Security, the National Guard, uh, DEMA, um, you know, it, the tribal, our tribal partners. You know, a, an effective response requires all hands on deck from everybody who has a piece of the response. And, you know, for something like this, virtually every state agency Every county health department, tribal partners, and all sorts of stakeholders have an important role to play. And so what I would be generally spending my time on as the director of an agency would really be um, making sure that I had the right people in the right places and that communication and collaboration was at its peak. And you need that in order to have an effective response. Arizona and the federal government really seem to have cut back on programs over the last couple of decades or so and precautions that could have helped manage these types of pandemics. Where did those go? And do you think that this encourages the state to perhaps bring back some of those programs? Well, you know, I think time will tell. I mean, you know, I think this is a watershed moment in Arizona history, uh, you know, we're living it right now. So we're right in the middle of it. Um, and we might not actually realize how profound this event is going to be. Um, but I think it's going it, to it is going to have a big impact on who we are as a country and how we think and and may even have an influence on, you know, the caustic partisanship that we see at, across all levels of government these days. I, I you know, I this this is more than just a pandemic. This is something I think that's going to change the course of what this country does and how it behaves and how it prioritizes things. Um, you know, at some point we're going to get rid of this virus. Eventually we'll get a vaccine, you know, maybe in 10 months or so. But the impacts of this entire pandemic are going to be with us as a country from here forward. You know, I, I I just don't think you can underestimate how important this event is, not just because of the virus necessarily, but because of the impacts that these interventions are having on our cultural fabric and our on the ability of working families to make a living. And um, I think it'll be important for us to look objectively at this entire response a year from now and figure out what went well, what went wrong. Where did we go too far? Where did we not go far enough? 
Um, in what areas were we prepared and what areas were we underprepared? And then getting to your question, what is it that we need to change resource-wise um, and investment-wise so that we can avoid um, uh, bad outcomes in the future? Well, that's really all the questions we had for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to go through this, especially given how challenging it is to make it happen. But where can folks find you on Twitter? So my Twitter is at WillHumble underscore AZ. And uh, our association is called the Arizona Public Health Association. And I have a blog, blog that's called Public Health Today. And I try to keep it up to date with uh, things that you might not be reading in popular media about the COVID-19 epidemic. And I try to tie it back to Arizona stuff. Thanks, Will. All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. Yvonne, um, what really kind of stood out to you about what we just heard from Will? I thought what was most interesting was Will's analysis of kind of who the public really needs to hear from in a time of public health crisis such as this. I mean, he talked quite a bit about how the public really needs to hear from what he called a symphony of voices, frontline healthcare workers, paramedics, People who, you know, um, the public trusts, nurses, doctors. And we didn't really get to hear from a lot of those people really early on in Arizona's outbreak. I mean, there really has been a sole messenger, right? And that's been the governor and his administration. So Dr. Kara Christ. And I think, you know, months from now, weeks from now, maybe we'll look back on this and wonder could more illnesses and more deaths perhaps have been avoided had the public taken this uh, call for social distancing more seriously earlier on? And could those voices, those additional voices, um, have have helped the public heed the social distancing advice uh, earlier than uh, than we did. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that Will obviously would have done things a little differently. And in terms of the effectiveness of it, you know, only time will tell. And, and obviously, we hope that what Arizona has done has been for the best. Well, Gaggle listeners, that's all for today. While we still have you, please don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was produced by Katie O'Connell with help from Maritza Dominguez. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.